However, we're going to start out with, um, there's a very interesting term, actually two words in the Gemara, which every Rishon takes in a totally different direction. And what we're going to see today, isn't it, is how machlokot work. And uh, I want to start out with showing you a picture, famous picture. And I'm going to ask you all to please freeze your first impression. I think I did this in questions and then we'll now. Freeze your first impression. You all got it? Okay, how many of you first see the younger woman? How many of you first saw the older woman? What? Yeah. Now, this statistically is uh, Safui. How do you say Safui? Do you all see the older woman also? No. This is her nose. This is her mouth. Okay. Younger, younger women almost always see the younger woman first. Older women see the older woman first. Um, in other words, psychologists, what they do is they see, a person sees that which they have going on in their mind. Do you see that? A second example of this, we'll do the same thing. Also freeze your first impression. Okay. How many of you see the vase first? How many of you see the faces first? Okay. It takes me a second for that one. So here, if it's just a one-time thing, it's not very relevant. But if a psychologist will show you 10 things like this, and a person always sees the objects and does not see the people, that may infer that he or she has a problem, is less sociable, and deals more with the things rather than with people. Right? Or vice versa. The final example... And here also, you have to use your creativity. Everybody here sees different things. Any suggestions? Can you see it here? Sarah, you with us? We need your help. What is this? Chipmunks. There's always somebody who sees chipmunks here. Airplanes, sky rockets, birds, a bat, masks. Try it this way. A fox. Girls, the most, I've done this many times. The most interesting answer I got here in Midrash at Harova where a girl says, it looks like two parents fighting over a child. And I happen to know that her parents, not too long before, had undergone a very difficult divorce. And she saw that which she had in her mind. Do you all see what psychologists do? The same thing is what happens in the Rishonim. We are going to see a very innocent Gemara, but we're going to see Rashi, Rambam, Ra'avad, Rajbam, everyone takes it in a different direction based on what they have going on in their mind. Okay? Let's see it together. 
The Gemara Masechet Pesachim, source number one, starts as follows. Amru alavo Rabbi Akiva, shayam mechalik klayot ve'egozim latinokot ve'erev Pesach, kidei shelo yishnu v'yishalu. Rabbi Akiva used to give out nuts uh, and um, anybody know what in the modern Hebrew it's called um, jala, that's really Arabic, or uh, garinim, yeah. right? A lot of times on Lil Shabbat, um, a family will serve for dessert uh, different roasted nuts. Now, this was considered a delicacy, and uh, this is what they, instead of giving out candy, Rabbi Akiva would give these roasted nuts out to children um, at the Seder, so that they shouldn't fall asleep, and they should ask, why is this night different from other nights? Why all of a sudden are you giving out nuts? Usually it's at the end of the meal. Now it's at the beginning of the meal. Tanya Rebeliezer Omer, Chotfin Matzot Belele Psachim. We grab the matzot and the night of the Seder, Bishvil Tinokot Shelo Yishnu, so that children will not fall asleep. Now, this idea of grabbing matzot at the Seder, what does this remind you of? This sounds like the minhag of stealing the afikoman. And if so, what is the reason behind this minhag of stealing the game of stealing the afikoman? Shelo yishnu. What is shelo yishnu? So that the children won't fall asleep. Now, what we're going to see is that there are five different ways of explaining this chutfin, to grab. Girls, everybody agrees that the word lachtof means to grab. Everybody knows what matzah is. We grab the matzah, Bilal Pesach, at the Seder night. All of the words here are unanimous. But, based on what each and every one of the Rishonim has going on in their mind, they are going to explain that this is what's going to keep children interested in the Seder. This is what's going to keep them from leaving Leil Pesach. And as we'll see, this is what's going to get them to stay close to Judaism and Torah Umitzvot even during their adolescent years. By the way, does anybody know how to say adolescent in modern Hebrew? You're the only one from your capsule here? Oh, no. <laughs> ah, okay. So why aren't you... Are you in the... You have leprosy? Ah, okay. As long as you don't have leprosy? Okay. Hever, um, what is going to keep children at the Seder? What is going to keep them interested in Torah? Oh, I asked you. How do you say adolescence in modern Hebrew? Tipesh Esrei. That sounds like a number, or it should be a number. What is Tipesh? Esrei. Just like there's a Chad Esrei, Shtem Esrei, Shlosh Esrei, there's Tipesh Esrei. In other words, the adolescents have a tendency to do stupid things, and, um, but as parents, you have to be ready for this, because we all did it to our parents. Your children, I hate to break it to you, will also 
do it to you. So let us see together the Rambam in Source 2, where the Rambam again deals with this issue. We grab the matzot so that the children won't fall asleep. Says the Rambam, Source 2, We do things differently on this night of Etalela Seder. So that our children will ask, Girls, the idea of Manishtana is not to proclaim, to recite Baal Peh, especially in Chutz Laretz. A lot of kids don't understand what does it mean, Manishtana, they don't understand the Hebrew. That's not the mitzvah Manishtana. Manishtana is that the parents should do... I'll tell you what I did. When my oldest son, Netanel, was three years old, I really got excited because it was the first time in my life that I had a child who was old enough that I could fulfill the mitzvah of the Gadot Are you on the computer? Are you, you with us? Or, uh... Yeah, I'm typing it. Oh, Okay. You type every word that I say. Wow. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Can I have a copy afterwards? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I would like it. Thank you. I actually have, I published the, what we're going to learn tonight, I published in an Israeli magazine. So I have it in Hebrew, but I don't have it in English. So thank you so much. Um, so I was really excited. I have a nephew who had three girls, three boys, and just now had a fourth child, a baby girl. Aww. And most of you probably know that you only fulfill the mitzvah of Piriya when you have a boy and a girl. So I wrote him a note that, you know, Baruch Hashem, Mazal Tov, etc., etc., and an additional Mazal Tov that you have now fulfilled the mitzvah of Pru Urvu. Right? There are some mitzvot that you wait, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting, and I was waiting to have a child old enough that I could do something different in order to get him to ask Manishtana. He learned in Gan the Manishtana. He knew the Manishtana by heart, but I didn't want him just to recite it. So what we did, anybody here a firstborn? Chevra, oh. there's a certain phenomena that parents, especially on the first child, try and do everything in the best possible way. <laughs> By the fourth or fifth child, you realize it doesn't help. That's me. Right? <laughs> but we tried raising our children without chocolate, without candy, just to eat healthy, to eat idealistically. So on the other hand, children, they learn from their grandparents that there is such a thing as chocolate. There is such a thing as candy. And um, so we decided when I came home from Yeshiva on Lil Haseder, first of all, we made sure that Netanel went to sleep two, three days before he slept in the afternoon so that he should be up late at night. And again, we changed his sleeping hours for two or three days so, to make sure that he is going to be awake at Leil HaSeder so that we can do our mitzvah of Yigarat Bincha to tell your child the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So we prepared his sleep schedule and I come home from yeshiva after Arvit and I give Netanel a piece of chocolate. 
Now, he knew what is chocolate, but he knew that we don't allow him to eat chocolate. So he was sort of suspicious. But he asks, Abba, Mama, Varchim, what bracha do you make? I said, Shakol Niyavid Varo. He makes a Shakol Niyavid Varo, eats the chocolate. I take out a second piece of chocolate and give it to him. And now he's really suspicious. He looks at me, he looks at my wife, like what's going on, but he eats it. And then I gave him a third piece of chocolate. And then he says, Abba, since when do you give me chocolate? That was what I was waiting for. Because that, mapitom, since when do you give me chocolate, is modern Hebrew for what? For manishtana alayla hazeh mikol alaylot. Why is tonight different from other nights? So every year you should do something a little different to catch your kids' attention. Um... A couple years ago, was it last year, two years ago, we just put the dining room table diagonally. And when the kids came home from show, they asked, what's going on? Why is the table diagonal? So I said, because on this night, 3,330 years ago, Hashem took us out of Egypt. Because that's the answer to Manishtana. In other words, do things a little different to get them to ask, why, what's different about tonight? So the Rambam says, do things different so that they will ask. And then you can answer. We were slaves in Egypt and Hashem took us out. What kind of changes should you do? The Rambam, by this stage of the year, most of you know, MTA definitely knows, the Rambam takes just about everything straight from the Talmud. And here he says, You give out nuts, you give out garinim, you give out treats, chocolate, candy. You take away the table. In most Ashkenazic families, you've seen in the Haggadah, they say, cover the Seder plate, uncover the Seder plate. The original minhag is to bring the Seder plate in, bring it out, bring it in bring it out, and then the kids will say, hey, what's going on? Why are you bringing this in and out? When are we going to eat the karpas? When are we going to eat the beitzah? And that is your, what's it called in a play when a person uh, knows that it's time for him to speak? Cue. His cue, right? That is your cue to start telling the story about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So you move around the table, you cover the table, v'chotfin here it comes. We grab the matzah from each other again. This is the source of stealing the afikoman. Notice, it doesn't say in most Ashkenazic families, or Sephardic families today also. You steal it, and you hold it ransom, and say, I won't give you back the afikoman until you buy me a new bicycle or a new this, right? That's... But notice, what is the original? The original, it was a game. You tell your father, Abba, what's that? Oh, and you steal the afikoman. And he does the same thing to you. And everyone's stealing the afikoman from each other. And the idea is to make the Lil Haseder fun. Sigmund Freud says the exact same thing as the Rambam. And this is point number one. If our question is, 
educational tools. How to keep kids interested in the Seder and in Judaism, Bichlal, because it's really the same point. Point number one is what Freud calls positive association. What is going to decide whether your children are going to be religious or not, Freud says everything gets back to their childhood. If they have a positive association with religion, they will want to be religious. If they have a negative association, by the way, it could be subconscious, right? But it all depends whether it is a positive or a negative association. This is what the Rambam says. When the Rambam says, if you want to keep the kids interested in Leila Seder, how do you do it? Grab the matzot. What does it mean, grab the matzot? Make it fun. Have a positive association with the mitzvot. Now, this sounds pretty easy. It's not easy. Um, I remember when I was on Shlichut for Bnei Akiva, I used to teach in uh, Sunday school. They still have these Talmud Torah, Hebrew schools, Sunday schools. The kids are not religious, but you know, in order to have a bar mitzvah at the local shul, they say you have to go to Hebrew school for two years or something like that. And these kids, all their friends are out having a good time, playing baseball, watching television, and they have to sit and learn Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit, and, and they're really not interested in doing it, but they're forced because they want to have a bar mitzvah. So I tried making it interesting, and I teach them about the holidays, and I told them about the Israeli army, and towards the end of the year, there's a kid named Jason, I still remember. Jason says to me, Rabbi, I wasn't a rabbi yet, but he used to, the kids called me rabbi. Rabbi, I don't think I want to be Jewish. So I've been working a whole year to get this guy in now. Obviously he meant, I don't think I want to be religious, right? Because I didn't want to tell him you don't have a choice, right? You're stuck, you're Jewish, you're Jewish, there's no way out. But um, I asked him why. He says, because all year you teach us that the Egyptians hated us and the Persians hated us. Babylonians hated us and the Romans hated us. And Hitler hated us and the Arabs. If everybody hates the Jews, why should I want to be Jewish? Girls, do you see what he's saying? I wanted to give, teach him about the Jewish holidays, but I left him with a negative association towards Judaism. Kids aren't stupid. By the way, Reb Moshe Feinstein has a tshuva. Somebody asked him, why are most of the Jews in America not religious? Today it's 94% of the Jews in America are not religious. What? 94%. And somebody asked Reb Moshe Feinstein, what happened? Reb Moshe Feinstein explained that when Jews came to America, half of them left their talit and tefillin in Europe. They thought they were coming to the modern world, the Western world. We don't need religion anymore. But half were still observant. The problem is, even those who were still observant, they did it with a kvetch. And I still remember my grandparents saying the term that Reb Moshe Feinstein says, killed American Jewry. I remember my grandparents saying, Oi, it's hard to be a Jew. 
Has anybody heard that saying, it's hard to be a Jew? Girls, that, says Rav Moshe, is what killed American Jewry. Because even if the parents observe Shabbat, even if the parents were still eating kosher, what do the kids pick up? It's hard to be Jewish. So why should they want to be Jewish? And is the parents who ruined it for the children by having them, giving them a negative association with Torah and Mitzvot. I'll tell you personally, the worst Shabbat I ever had in my life. Does anybody here know my aunts and uncles? No, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't think so. Um, I spent a Shabbat, my brother and I, my parents went away for Shabbat, and they, uh, they sent my brother and I to my aunt and uncle, and uh, thought we'd have a good time. We have a cousin. And my uncle, from the beginning of the meal on Friday night, is yelling at his wife, is yelling at his son, is yelling at his second son, is yelling at my brother, is yelling at me. He's just yelling. And I've never seen him like this. You know, sometimes, you know, you know somebody from a, just from family parties, you know, so he's in a good mood. And I had never seen this guy. He was crazy. And at one point, he went to the bathroom, and my aunt says, I have to apologize for my husband's behavior. You've never seen him this way because he's a heavy smoker. And on Shabbat, when he doesn't smoke, he's very edgy. Anybody know people who are addicted to cigarettes? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Shabbat is very difficult for them. At the end of the story, both of my cousins are not Shomrei Shabbat. Because Shabbat was the worst day of the week for them. And of course they're not going to enjoy Shabbat. Because their parents made it a terrible experience. Now, this sounds like an extreme case. And you're not uh, addicted to smoking. And probably your husband will not be addicted to smoking. But how many of our houses... Excuse me. <clears throat> have a terrible mad rush in the last half hour before Shabbat. You know that one? Who's setting the table? Should take out the garbage? Who's tearing the toilet paper? What? You didn't buy this? You didn't buy that? You all know the scenario that I'm describing? Girls, that is a negative association with Shabbat. Now, Shabbat might be a very nice day, but if what a kid remembers that part of Shabbat is a negative experience, and everyone's yelling and everyone's pressured. And so what's the solution? It's not that difficult. What's the solution to solve that problem that I just mentioned? Do it before. Exactly. Start preparing for Shabbat on Thursday night. Wednesday night. Tuesday night. <laughs> right? You don't have to be a genius to avoid the problem. Not only that, in our house, my kids already know that I have a disc that uh, with very mellow music. You know the um, type of music that they put out in the dentist's office in the background, you know, to help you be mellow? And my kids joke about it, but they know for the last hour before Shabbat in our home, we listen to mellow music. And the idea is to have that positive association. What about cleaning for Pesach? How many of you enjoy cleaning for Pesach? By a show of hands? Not all at once. How many of you don't like cleaning for Pesach? (laughs) Just about everyone. Chevra, we have to find a way to make cleaning for Pesach not a negative association. Otherwise, kids are going to hate Pesach. 
Anybody have a concrete solution? How to solve the problem that kids hate cleaning for Pesach? Yeah? Again? Yeah, fair. Give them prizes, pay them, other concrete solutions. Sorry? Make it fun. Make it fun. Maybe even pay for help. You know, of course we want to educate our children to help out and to clean and not be japs and not be spoiled. Yeah, that's true. But do that during the year. If the only time you make your kids work is before Pesach, they feel like they are Korban Pesach. Right? And uh, they are not going to be happy campers. And um, these are very important concrete problems and concrete solutions. Now, Erickson is the first point is the Rambam, but it's really Freud, or I should say, people say it's Freud. That's what's going to decide whether your children are religious or not, is their positive association. Erickson takes it a step further. He says, not just to have positive association with the religion with mitzvot, like the Rambam, like Freud said. But Erickson says, does a person have a positive association with their parents? That is what's going to decide whether they're going to be religious or not. Because children associate tradition with their parents. They associate religion with their parents. And, and that's true. That's what Masoret's tradition is about. Now, Everybody, all of you are finishing up adolescence. You all know that part of adolescence is building me. And Erickson, the psychologist, says, what is the definition of me? How am I different from my mother? That's for girls. For boys, how am I different than my father? Everybody wants to be different. Now, your base for comparison, everyone's base for comparison for girls, it's their mother. On certain points, you're going to be more than your mother. Certain points, you're going to be like your mother. Certain points, you're going to be lower than your mother. And this is natural. The question is, if I like my father, I will want to be like him on the important issues, like religion. And I will express my difference and be different from him on side issues, right? You have a different haircut than your mother. You have different glances than your mother. You have a different taste in music than your mother. Girls, that's natural. But if you want to be different than your mother on what's really, really important, i.e. ideology, Torah, tradition, that is a problem because that's a sign that you don't really like your parents. In other words, Hevra, I could tell you, I, have a, I give a class here, some of you are in my class in questions in Emunah. And I've been giving this class for 30 years, not here, in many different Midrashot. I've had thousands of discussions, literally thousands of discussions, with 18, 19 year olds about religion. Questions, answers, I know, and I've heard, all the questions many times. But it's important to point out in our context, a person doesn't take off their kippah because of a question. There are, everyone has questions. 
You know what? I have more questions than you do. But when a person decides to take off their kippah, it's because he has a problem with his parents, or he has a problem socially, or he wants more attention. These are the most common scenarios. Now, I'm not saying don't answer the questions. Yeah, that's why I give a class in questions and not Always answer the questions. But if you have a brother or a friend who tells you, Aviva, I don't want to be religious anymore. The real solution is to invite them out for a cup of coffee or go out for pizza and find out what's bothering them at home. Because their real problem is almost always with their parents. Maybe they had a teacher who turns them off. That is, mambash, 97, 98% of the problems of those who leave religion. It's because they have a negative association with their parents. Or they're in the most common scenario, they're not getting enough attention. Now you have to remember, has anybody heard of Adler? A lot of uh, psychology today. Um, I forget his first name, Alfred, I think. Adler, also a Jewish psychologist. He, yeah, remind me to get back to Adler. Oh, Isabel, remind me to get back to Adler afterwards. Yeah. No. Oh, uh, I depend ever... on Isabel. <laughs> do you think people ever um, become, grow up in a religious home, like whatever the situation is, but are religious simply just because they just don't, they're just not interested. They, they don't rebel. They have nothing against it. They have an incredible relationship with their parents. So there are rare cases where Jewish education is so bad that they did not succeed in interesting or turning this kid on. Mm -hmm. There are cases like that. But that's the Yotzamina Klau. That's the exception. The most common scenario, and bring, getting back to Adler, thank you, Isabel, um, Adler says that all of us need and want attention. And we so much crave attention that we prefer negative attention rather than too little attention. This is most common. Has anybody heard of the uh, middle child syndrome? Where a middle child, he has a problem getting attention because he's not the first. Firstborn, he's the first in everything. First one to crawl, first one in gone. First bar mitzvah, first, first everything. And that's why his parents are always taking. Today, you, you people don't appreciate because everybody's taking pictures of everything. But when I was a kid and you had to buy film and you had to pay for developing, you wouldn't just snap away. And um, I remember I was a middle child. I remember telling my parents, you like my older brother more than you like me. And my parents obviously said, no, it's not true. We love you all the same. But I was always, I was always a little chutzpahdik. I counted the number of pictures of my <laughs> older brother in the family albums. There are twice as many pictures of him as there is of me. And I told my mother, why are there twice as many pictures of my older brother as there is of me? Now that I have seven children, I realize the first child, everything is new. Right? He turned over. He crawled forwards. He crawled backwards. You're, you take pictures of the first child, everything is new. By the seventh child, <laughs> seen this, done that, right? Everything is... So that's the real answer. It's not that 
my parents love me less. But Hebron, religious families in general, Baruch Hashem have a lot of children. Now, when you have a lot of children, that means that it's very difficult to make sure that each and every one of them is getting enough attention. You know what the easiest way of getting attention? You could have seven, eight, nine, ten children in the family. And everyone gets a little more attention, a little less attention. But children know intuitively, if I take off my kippah, or if I turn on the lights on Shabbat, that's how I'm going to get a lot of attention. And they bring him to the principal, and they bring him to the rabbi, and they bring him to the psychologist, and he got his attention. Do you all see that? How do you solve that problem? Chevra, concrete solution. Keep a calendar. And make sure that every single month you are spending quality time with your first child and your second child and your third child and your fourth child and your fifth child. And your Make sure that nobody gets forgotten. Because if they feel they're not getting enough attention, the easiest way of getting attention in a religious family is pashut, by taking off your kippah. It takes exactly one second. And you'll get all the attention that you want. Do you all see that? If so, you have to make sure not only steal the afikoman, make it fun, have it as a game, that's what the Rambam is saying, so that the kids have a positive association with religion, but also be your children's friend. Spend quality time with each and every child so that they will have positive association also with their parents. Erickson says that this is what's going to decide if your kids are going to be religious or not. Spin, you know what? I'm very busy. I'm working on another Sefer. Seven children, 10 grandchildren, give shiurim here, teach there, edit the writings of Rob. I'm, I'm very busy. But you know what I did last night? I sat down with my son, who's home from the army. He just finished officer's course. And we watched basketball. Not that I have extra time, but I want to spend time with my son so that he has a positive, he, that he loves me. Now, everybody thinks, oh, of course my kids will love me. Your parents said that too. And I imagine most of you do love your parents, hopefully. One thing I know for sure, even without meeting your parents, every single one of your parents loves you. I've never met a parent who doesn't love their child. But I have met a lot of parents who don't know how to transmit this because they're too busy disciplining or working or supporting. So they don't really transmit how much they love their children. And this, again, is, is another aspect. Make sure your children love you. Not just so that they be religious, so that you'll have a good report with your kids. You all want to have a good report. Don't take it for granted. Don't say, oh, of course my children will love me. All of the children who think their parents hate them, all of them have parents who think that, of course my child knows that I love them. Yeah. Okay. Chavra, let us go on. Um, let us look at the Me'iri. Source number five. The Me'iri takes the same Gemara. So what time do we have? I always forget with this new schedule. 
25? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Have you all heard of the Meiri? you never heard of the Meiri? Okay. The Meiri is a region. Like Rashi, Rambam, Rishonim was between the year 1000 and 1500. The Meiri is one of the great Rishonim. He looks at this Gemara that we just saw. It says that we grab the matzot at the Seder so that the children don't leave the Seder. What does he say, grab the matzot? Not to make it fun. That was the Rambam. Right? The Rambam, that was point number one. Make it fun. The Meiri says, what is Hamaya? Nefesh Yehudi Homiya? That's in the Hatikva. To show genuine excitement. This is the Meiri. We grab the matzot to show genuine excitement. What does it mean to grab? I want the matzah. I want the matzah. I want to eat matzah. I love... Chevra? There is a psychologist named Popinu. I think he's French. Who writes that what is going to decide whether a child is going to be religious or not is that childhood, child education is constantly shuffling and reshuffling your priorities. We pick up from our parents what really excites them. But it has to be genuine. Because kids have antennas and they know when you're genuine or not. Has anybody, did anybody have a teacher in school who pretended to be religious, but everybody knew that they're not religious? Yeah. Hevra, kids pick things up. They have antennas. They know. The same thing with parents. If a parent says, learning Torah is the most important thing, but during their spare time, they're surfing on the internet, they are transmitting to their kids I am really excited about the internet and not so excited about Torah. There's a saying, mitzvot are not taught, they are caught. Did you catch that? Mitzvot are not taught. You, children don't listen to your lectures, but they are caught. They see what you are genuinely interested. I'll never forget the first baseball game that I went to. The local rabbi, he, the New York Yankees, as baseball, for those who don't know, um, they have a public service where they give rabbis and priests free tickets to the games. If it's a regular game, you know, they always have five t- extra tickets, ten extra, right? there's 75,000 tickets. So if a rabbi applies, the Yankee Stadium gave the rabbi five tickets here, five tickets there, and he asks, who wants to go to the game? Looking back, obviously, he wants us to have a positive association with the rabbi. Judaism is fun, right? The rabbi is cool. Um, so we went to the game. I still remember it was the Yankees against the Boston Red Sox. And um, the Boston Red Sox had a lefty all-star named Carl Yastrzemski. You ever hear the name? No? Anyway, Carl Yastrzemski, it was a, I don't remember the details, but it was a tight game. And Carl Yastrzemski is coming up to bat. And the whole Yankee Stadium is yelling, 
boo, boo, right? That's the home court advantage. Everyone, you want to get him angry. You want to get his, bother his concentration. And I remember the rabbi who was sitting next to me, he was turning red in the face and yelling, boo, boo. And I remember looking at the rabbi and thinking, wow, he's really getting into this. <laughs> I, and I, that's what, that's what Papanyu says. I felt myself at that point taking baseball and shuffling. Hey, that's a top priority. Even the rabbi the is turning red. He's getting excited. Thank God that's not the end of the story. At Simchat Torah, I don't know what happens in the girls' section, but in the boys' section, after an hour, two hours of akafot, usually the rabbi is soaking wet with sweat. Anybody have like a rabbi of the show who like gets up on the chair and he leads the the Aderet uh, Vemuna, Aderet Vemuna, and he's red, he's not red, he's purple in the face, and he is hoarse. And I remember when I was dancing in the back of him and I put my hand on his shoulder, that's how men dance, you just put your hand on his shoulder, <laughs> and he was soaking wet, and he was purple, and he was, and I reshuffled my priorities. I thought he got excited about baseball. Wow. Simchat Torah is even more exciting. Do you see what Papanyu was saying? Chevra, in the average home, I remember, nobody knows my aunt, so I'll give another example from one of my aunts. This is a different aunt. One time we were over there for Shabbat and um, somebody broke a plate. You know, kids, they knock things over. She went bananas. That is my most expensive china. And why can't you be more careful? And you are such a clumsy ox. You go to your room. And I felt so sorry for the kid. But to this day, every time I see that end, I think of her china. Wow, she gets really excited about her china. Girls, the end of the story, her children also, they're into their houses they're into their cars. They're into money. They are not so into religion. That's what they picked up from their mother. Because that's what she was really excited about. Chevra, you can't fake it. Because kids pick up... So, so where do you start? You have to start now. If at the age of 18 you really connect with Torah and mitzvot and you genuinely get excited about your year in Midrashah and you tell your kids that that was the greatest year in your, uh, your life and you love learning Torah and they see you going, my wife, when she has time, she goes to Sheorim and she goes into Sheorim on the internet. That is what kids pick up. There's a famous psychologist named Rav Yaakovson. He lives in the north, in uh, Zichron Yaakov. He's Haredi, but he's a psychologist. And whenever there is a child in the family who's not acting properly, the Haredim called this Dr. Yaakovson, because he's also Haredi and also a psychologist. Now you have to remember, in the Haredi community, if one of the children has a problem, it's not just his problem. His sisters are going to have problems getting Shiduchim. You know what I'm talking about? Ever? And so families, if a child is kicked out of cheder, the family is really 
going to deal with it. So this Rav Yaakovson, he is the fire chief to put out all of the fires. And uh, he tells the story of a kid who was expelled from Cheder. And the father called this Rav Yaakov's doctor, Rabbi Dr. Yaakovson from Zichron Yaakov to Yerushalayim. They paid him a lot of money to solve the child's problem. So he had to sit down with the child and he says to the fifth grader, 10-year-old child, oh, what's the problem? So the kid says, uh, I was kicked out of Cheder. So Rav Yaakovson says to him, uh, why were you kicked out? You want to tell me about it? Anybody go to a psychologist? They have a way of saying it. You want to tell me about it? And uh, so the kid says, yeah, well, my Rebbe thinks that I'm chutzpahdik. That's already a little uh, suspicious, right? So he says, and you? What's your side of the story? So the kid said, I was just telling the truth, but my Rebbe thought I was being chutzpahdik. You want to tell me about it? The kid says, yeah. Kid says that um, in our family, we are three boys, and at each one of these su'udot on Shabbat, one of the boys, it's his turn to say a Dvar Torah. So each of us prepares a Dvar Torah, something we learned in class. And he said, I'm the second child, and I always say the Dvar Torah at the Shabbat morning meal. And as I say the Dvar Torah, my father eats his chillant. Okay. Now, what happened in the Cheder? The Rebbe was giving a class on Avat Yisrael, on the importance of loving your fellow Jew, doing chesed. And uh, after giving a lot of different sources and telling stories and bringing Gemarot, he says to the kids, So Kinderlach, tell me, what is the one thing which is even more important than saying a Dvar Torah? So the kid says, Chulant! And the Rebbe threw him out of the class. So Rabbi Yaakovson says, so what did you mean, Chulant? He says, well, when I say my Dvar Torah, my father, he doesn't listen to a word that I say. He just eats his Chulant. At the end, he always says, Shkoyach, very nice, I'm proud of you. But his Chulant is more important than the Dvar Torah. See what happened? Girls, we do this, we did this as children. Our children do this. When you see genuine excitement, if you see what your parents get excited about, even within Torah mitzvot, girls, in most religious homes, you know the scenario that a kid accidentally on Shabbat turns off the light and everybody jumps and says, Shabbos! And then what does he do? Turns them on, right? <laughs> Over another Isur. Chevra. Has anybody ever been at a home where a child says Lashon Hara and the parents jump and they say, Hey, Lashon Hara! No. And now you know why it's so difficult at the age of 18 to cut down on Lashon Hara. Because our parents educated us that Lashon Hara, yeah, it's, it's in the Torah, but everybody talks it. Shabbat, wow, that's really important. If you transgress Shabbat, everybody jumps. Talk Lashon Hara, they don't even say anything. Now, I'm not saying that you have to jump and yell at your kids if they talk Lashon Hara. But if you jump for Shabbat, 
and you don't jump when it comes for Lashon Ara, or Kalvachomer, if you jump when your a piece of your china breaks, and you don't jump when a kid talks Lashon Ara, you are instilling in them priorities that it's not really important to if you talk Lashon Ara or not. Do you all see that? This, by the way, is found in the Al Sheikh. Let's look together in Source 7. The Al Sheikh classic commentary on the Torah. Abba Shema. He writes, If you want to teach Torah to your children, If something is on your heart and it really preoccupies it and shows you and you show genuine excitement, then you will fulfill in other words, if you are really love Torah, if you love God with genuine excitement, then you will succeed in and giving it on to your children. But if you're not really excited about the mitzvot, and by the way, this is also an answer to, what's your name? Naama. Naama. And also an answer to Naama's previous question. Chevra, in most modern Orthodox homes, even if they do the Torah mitzvot, they are not genuinely excited. They do it. And everyone's waiting for Shabbos to be over to check their messages, to turn on the television. You all know that scenario, right? Girls, that is lowering the chances of your children of being religious because you should show them, I love Shabbat. And it has to be genuine. If it's not genuine, so it's not going to work. Okay? Um, by the way, we say this every day in davening. Let's look in Source 8. You know Uvalatziam? Do you say Uvalatziam? Right after Ashrei in the morning? We want to serve Hashem wholeheartedly. What is neled? To give birth. So that we will not give birth for naught. So that our children will also follow the Torah mitzvot. How do we do it? If we serve Hashem with genuine excitement, that is going to keep them at the Leil HaSeder. Again, what does the Meiri say? Grab the Matzot. I want Matzah. I love Matzah. I love the Seder. That genuine excitement, that is what Chazal mean when they say grab the Matzot to keep the children interested. Explanation number three. By the way, let's look in the Nemunke Yosef, source number four. The Nemunke Yosef says, grab the Matzot, Derech schok, making it fun, that's the Rambam. V'chibuv mitzvah, that's the Me'iri. Do you all see that? Chevra? These are the first two points where the Nemukeosif actually brings both of them. Let's see point number three. The Rashbam. Let's look together in source number nine. Chevra, who is the Rashbam? He was the grandson of Rashi also one of the great Rishonim. 
And he also has a commentary in the Gemara. He sees the same Gemara, again, the very same Gemara that the Rambam saw, that the Meiri saw, that says, grab matzot so that the kids don't fall asleep. What does he, how does he explain grab the matzot? Totally different. Have a look inside, source number nine. What does it mean to grab the matzot? If a kid is, is hungry, he's going to fall asleep. You all know the Cholent uh, syndrome? We just spoke about Cholent. After he Cholent, I know this from running... Hundreds of Shabbatonim for Bnei Akiva and MTA and Midrashat Harova and different Midrashat girls. The hardest time to give a Sikha is after the Cholent on Shabbat morning. Because when somebody is satiated, they're going to fall asleep. The Rashbam says, I know they have a problem. If you want to make sure that you're, you don't lose your children at Leila Seder, make sure that they do not eat. Because if they take matzah and start eating... They're going to fall asleep. You have to grab it away from them and say, no, now is not the time to eat because otherwise they'll fall asleep. Chevra, this is the third message of Jewish education. Discipline. Sometimes you have to say no. And this is what the Rashbam is saying. What does it mean to grab the matzot? If your kids want to eat, grab the food away from them, because otherwise they'll fall asleep and you will lose them from the Seder. Chevra, excuse me, that's my phone. I'm going to turn it off, I think. Ah. What does it mean, discipline? Chevra, of course we want our kids to be happy. But if we let our kids get up and play during the Seder, they're not going to be at the Seder. Sometimes you have to say no. I think I told the girls in... Uh, did I tell you about the girl that we had to kick out? Other than Russia? Yeah. I won't go through the whole story. This girl was the biggest Jap that the world has ever seen. And she was so spoiled... And she wouldn't wake up in the morning for classes because she needed her beauty sleep. And she didn't come to meals. It wasn't here. I mean, dressed in a row, but this was in a row. And uh, this girl had her lunch delivered every day from the King David Hotel, an hour and 15 minute drive to Michaela de Rode outside of Petach Tikva to bring this princess her lunch. And one Shabbat, she flies to Belgium without telling anybody she wanted to do some shopping and girls it was very clear that their her problem was that her parents they spoiled her so much that she had no self-discipline she never heard the word no in her life and to thank god baruch hashem today our standard of living is so high whenever you go to the makolet almost every time you will see a child telling their mother ima Buy me Bamba, Ima, buy me Bisli, buy me this, buy me that. And the parent just wants to shut the kid up. So they buy. And children never learn discipline. 
I remember I had a kid in our elementary school class. This is in the 60s. In the 1960s, everybody was into freedom and equal rights. And uh, I had a friend in my class whose father told his son, who was in my class, he used to laugh about this, he said, don't call me dad, call me Wally. Girls, do you feel that there's something wrong about calling your father by, your fir- by his first name? But this is what the 60s and 70s did. They wanted to break down discipline. Anybody ever hear of Eric Fromm? Eric, Eric Fromm, another Jewish psychologist, uh, he wrote, um, he was like the guru of the 1960s. And he wrote about freedom and raising your kids with freedom and don't inhibit them and let them be themselves, free to be you and me. And then in the early 70s, he wrote a book called Escape from Freedom. Did you catch what happened? What does it mean, escape from freedom? He writes in his book, I wrote that we should raise our kids with freedom, but that's not anarchy. The 1960s was anarchy. I don't want to go to school, do your homework, don't do your homework, go to school, don't go to school, do whatever you want, write on the walls. Girls, do you see the difference between anarchy? Now in South Africa, you don't have this problem, right? South Africans basically have the opposite problem of too much discipline, which we'll talk about that mamash in a minute. But today in the modern world, Hevra, anybody ever have parents tell them that a certain kid is a bad influence and that you shouldn't play with him? Parents today are scared to tell their children that because it's not politically correct. Now, obviously, there is a problem. Today, pornography is such a problem. The internet is such a problem. There are so many problems in television, in, in, in uh, movies. Girls, we have to know to discipline our children and to say no. And if you don't do that, your kids aren't going to be religious. Because what, all of a sudden at the age of 13, they're going to just say, okay, let me go to shul. I'm not going to turn on lights on Shabbat. I'm going to start doing the sitra on 13 minutes. But at the age of 13, it doesn't work that way. You have to discipline them from a young age that this is what Jews do. Like somebody said before, give them positive reinforcement. Don't spank them, but... It has to be very clear that there are certain things that Jews do, certain things that Jews don't do. During the Seder is not the time to play. This is a time that we tell the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not the time to eat. If you start eating your matzah, you're going to fall asleep. That's what the Rashbam, that's his anima amin, where again, he sees the Gemara say, grab the matzot. He sees that as meaning if the kids want to eat, Grab the matzah away, because the next step is they're going to fall asleep. Yeah? yeah? The problem on the flip side is if a parent tells their kid not like they don't like their friend or whatever, then it just makes the kid want to do it more. So you have to do it smart. It's not easy to be a parent, but I'm just saying that part of being a parent is that there are certain things. You know what? Let's give a simple example. I'm just curious, you know, just by a show of hands. How many of you at home have some kind of filter on your internet? That's what it's called, a filter? I mean, no, I don't trust 
That you that you can't go into pornography on your internet at home. Sorry. Yeah, Well, but what do you mean? When you were children, you did. Chevron, I don't know how much experience you have working with boys, but the biggest problem in the yeshiva world today is yeshiva high schools is the kids can't concentrate on Gemara because they're all the time daydreaming about pornography. There are so many non-Sanua programs and it's just two or three clicks away and the kids will get into it even by accident unless you have a filter. That's not the word I'm looking for. What word am I looking for? Is it filter? Is it? Right? Something to make sure that your family has some kind of discipline on the internet. On the other hand, there is also the problem of too much discipline. And that is what the Ravid says. Let's look together in the Ra'avad in source three. The Ra'avad says, again, what does the Gemara say? Samantha? Grab the matzot. What does it mean, grab the matzot? The Rambam says, make it fun. Again, steal the afikoman. The Meiri says, show genuine excitement. I want the matzah. The Rashbam says, grab the matzah. If the kid starts eating, grab it away from him so that he won't fall asleep. The Ravid in Source 5, in Source 3. Mimaharin le'echol. What does it mean to grab the matzah so you don't lose the kids? Mimaharin le'echol k'dei shelo yishnu. What is mimaharin le'echol? Hurry to eat the matzah. How many of you remember as kids that the Seder is too long and too boring? Girls, you have to... By the way, it's a problem. I don't know if you notice this, in most families, there's an 18 or 19-year-old boy or girl who's coming from yeshiva, and they have a lot of different Torah, and they want to share and make the Seder spiritually meaningful and show the parents, what did we learn in Midrashah? But they have a 7-year-old brother who's not at all interested in hearing what you learned from Rav Milstone. Right? Do you see the problem? He wants to eat. He wants to, they told me there's going to be knedlach, there's going to be good food. Well, I want to eat. Now, it's not normal for a 7-year-old or a 9-year-old, even an 11-year-old, to wait until 11 o'clock to eat the meal. Do you see the problem? I, we say, The more you tell about the story of Mitzrayim, the better. You know what the Netziv says? That's after the children have gone to sleep. When the children are awake, they, the little children, are the main heroes of the Seder. You have to direct the Seder for the nine-year-olds, for the seven-year-olds, for the 11-year-olds. And you have to understand this, because you're now 18, 19, Baruch Hashem. I'm sure you all want to share a lot of Divrei Torah, wherever you're going to be at the Seder. Girls, that's after the young children go to sleep. Do you all catch what the Ravid is saying? You don't, you can't have exaggerated expectations. This is point number four. Point number four is the Ra'avad. 
The Ra'avad says you need to have realistic expectations of your children. Yes, we said a minute ago, sometimes you have to discipline them. You have to say no. On Shabbat, we don't do this. On Pesach, we do do this, right? But you got to be realistic. You cannot expect a 11, even a 13-year-old not to eat his matzah until 11 o'clock at night. What is, says the Ra'avad, grab the matzah, hurry through Magid. Hurry, hurry through the Haggadah. Don't stretch it out. Do it in a way that it's interesting for them. You want to say Divrei Torah? Do that after the children go to sleep. The famous story of the Chatham Sofer. By the way, I had a student, a very good student, who, she studied with me, not here, but in Michal Litorot, and she was so idealistic, and she married a Rav, and they sent their child to learn Torah, and they even sent him to a school where there was no secular studies. And at the age of 17, the kid had been learning Torah eight, nine hours a day from the age of 10. And he was burned out by the age of 17. And then she came and asked me, what should I do? Do you see the problem if we don't have realistic expectations? There's a famous story of the Khatam Sofer. You all heard of the Khatam Sofer? I had the privilege of teaching his great, great, great granddaughter. She was a madricha here. In the Israeli, from, she was in the Israeli program. She was Madricha of the Chutzlars program. She was the most brilliant student that I ever taught. Thousands and thousands of students. This girl had the genes of the Chatham Sofer. And uh, the Chatham Sofer was the Rav of Pressburg. And uh, a guy wanted to brag about his son. And he takes a 10-year-old son to the Chatham Sofer. And he says to the Chatham Sofer, he says, You know what? My 10-year-old son, he knows all Seder Moed, the entire Seder of Mishnayel, by heart. Chatham Sofer wasn't impressed. So the father thought he doesn't believe him. He says, you don't believe me? Try it. Start any Mishnah. And my son will finish it off for you. Chatham Sofer didn't want to participate. So the father started out a Mishnah. Elam And the kid says, finish off the Mishnah. Hasochar tapoalim. Finish off the Mishnah. So the guy thought that the Chatham Sofer would be really impressed. Chatham Sofer takes the father to the side and says, listen, if you don't let a child play at the age of 10, he's going to play at the age of 20. And that's what happened. You see that? Children need to play. And I said this before, especially about the Bukhor. Parents always want their child to be the Mashiach to be the Galador, to be the biggest tzaddikit. Girls, that's natural. But he or she is a child. You've got to have realistic expectations. Otherwise, you'll break them. I remember one, uh, you know, when you're cleaning for Pesach, like I said before, it's good to have music in the background, make it pleasant, make it fun. So one, one year, I've uh, had a teenager, teenage boy, who his idol was Sinai Tor. Has anybody heard of Sinai Tor? Sinai Tor is alternative music. It's religious music, 
but he yells a lot. And my wife can't stand him. I still remember he has this song. Uh, it's a love song with God. Bali Litzokelecha! I want to yell out to you. I want to hug you. I want to bring you a korban. It's a love song to God. And one of my boys was a real fan of this Sinai tour. <laughs> and my wife, when she heard this, this was before Pesach, she said, I can't, I can't listen to all this yelling. And she turned off the radio. And my son turned it on and she turns it off. And, so, and I took my wife to the side and said, listen, you like Avram Fried? You like Mordechai ben David? What are the odds that all of our children are going to like the same Hasidic music that you enjoyed from the 1970s? It doesn't work that way. Because again, a child inevitably is going to want to be different from their parent. Halavai, that he listened to Sinai Tor and not listened to Madonna, right? Or some of the other, you know, English uh, music. That's mamash asur. You all see that? You got to choose your battles and have realistic expectations. The fifth and final point, with this we finish, let us look at Rashi. Rashi in source number 10. Again, what does the Gemara say? The Gemara says, grab the matzot. We've seen four totally different explanations because each one of the Rishonim has a different educational philosophy of what is going to keep the kids interested in the Seder and interested in Judaism. We saw grabbing the matzot, the Ramam says, is number one to make it fun. The Me'iri says, and have positive association with the mitzvot and with the parents. The Me'iri says to show genuine excitement. Grab the matzot, I want the matzot. The Rashbam says, grab the matzot, discipline them, and say, now is not the time to eat, right? Grab it away so that they don't fall asleep. The Ra'avad says, what does it mean grab the matzot? Did anybody catch? What does the Ra'avad mean grab the matzot? Realistic expectations. What does he say? Hurry up, Magid. Grab, Motzi, Matzah, Maror, Korech. Grab it so that you don't lose the kids. Rashi, the fifth and final explanation, Grab the matzot is the source for holding up the matzot. In most Ashkenazic family, they point to the matzah, and they say, The original minhag is not to point to the matzot, but to lift up the matzot. Grab the matzot to make it visually Interesting. And this is point number five. You have to make the mitzvot stimulating. It could be intellectual stimulation. It could be emotional stimulation. In this case, it's visual stimulation, right? Do something to make it interesting. Because one of the problems that we have in Jewish education is today is that when the kids learn history, when they learn math, when they learn computers, everything is color. Everything is super duper. Everything is interactive, right? It's interesting. The only topic which is still boring is the old-fashioned black and white Gemara or the black and white Chumash. Do you all see the problem? And this is what the Rashi, Rashi says. Rashi says, grab the matzot 
show them visually to make it stimulating. And point number six, you have to daven. Girls, you have to pray to Baruch Hu, that you will succeed in raising your children. Thank God you don't have to do it alone. You have a husband there with you. You help him. He helps you. But you have to daven a lot because even if you do all five of these, you still have to daven for success. Any other questions? So I will just finish off again giving a compliment that I said at the beginning. Kola kavod to all those who decided to come here and are mature enough to realize that you will be educating your children a lot quicker than you realize. Thank you, Thank you.